Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern. We hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Arrow Bandwidth. I really do need to find another intro because uh, after the last episode of last season where it was a collection of my hi and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, I promised myself I wouldn't say that, but hey-ho, so far, all the episodes this season, <laughs> exactly the same way. <laughs> Drats. Um, but yeah, hi and welcome to another Arrow Bandwidth. And uh, as per always, I am uh, accompanied by my partner in crime, Mr. Richard Holmes. Hello all. I must say, I thought you were just going to go a little bit off-piste there when you st- there was a slight pause after. Hello. I thought, ooh, ooh, what are we on now? We're going to yeah. rename, we're going to do all sorts. I was no. going to try, but I failed uh, miserably. Look. Failed miserably. And we are really, really lucky to be uh, to be accompanied for a second time by Mr. Neil Casimal. You Yay. are indeed. Welcome to the class. Very, so thank very you very lucky. much. Afternoon, Mr. C. Thank now, you very much. This one is a... It's a, re- it's a, a p- <laughs> I'm hoping it's not that much more serious, but it was on a much more serious topic. Um, very recently, uh, the European Union decided that it was going to tighten up, and rightly so, if I'm perfectly honest, on the data held by organisations, any data held by organisations um, within the EU. Now, um, this is this is to be quite frank, massively, massively over-needed and overdue because things like the Data Protection Act are pretty antiquated now and was actually designed to, I think it was designed to secure data in filing cabinets, not online. So it's not really, I mean, it's still relevant, but it's not as up-to-date as it needs to be. Yeah, well, that was around since 98. Yeah. Um, this GDPR, when it, when it comes, at the minute, when it comes into effect, in I think it's May yeah, 2018 it is, yeah. is going to replace the data protection directive which has been around since 95 and that is the sum total of my research so far so there Good. you go that's fine well done Richard. so yeah it's been a, you know it's <coughs> more than I've done <laughs> yeah so you're right it's 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 overdue we have yeah, a review it is overdue I mean first and foremost GDPR stands for general data protection regulation so I think that's important just for the listeners just to understand because we're going to use this acronym throughout the entire show so just so you know what it is um, but the question I want to ask, okay, is first and foremost, what does it really mean, okay? And then secondly, I, I want to ask the the difficult question, and I'm going to be I'm going to be tough on this one because this could either be a great opportunity or or well, it's going to be a great opportunity either way. But we need to go down one of two tracks, okay? The first, the question I want to ask is, as we are leaving the EU, allegedly. Allegedly, regardless, you know, we are at this current point in time planned to uh, invoke Article 50 um, and leave the EU. Do we really care about GDPR? And could we theoretically become almost a, a way of circumventing GDPR by saying to EU organisations, come put your data in, in the UK? Or not? I'm not sure. I'm, 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 okay, my personal opinion, I think that's probably an ever so slightly um, hopeful and, and actually nonsensical thing to say. But it's an important discussion point that we understand because there's a lot of press in, in, at the moment mm-hmm. about GDPR and its impact and, and how you know, UK organisations could, could again, regardless of whether we're in or out, long term, 
we are going to need to toe the line. Mm-hmm. But as with lots of things, you know, when there's financial regulations in one country that's tighter than another, yeah. you see the, the finance houses go to the location that has the least regulation, with all due respect, not being cynical, but, you know, to, to be able to do the most sort of elaborate things, should we say. So mm. will GDPR take the same direction? But anyway, first and foremost, let's talk about GDPR, what it means, what it is, and we'll come on to the more sort of cynical stuff <laughs> later on in the do podcast. Want, do you want me to explain some of the key points? Please, please do, yeah, Neil. Please. I think that'd be please. really valuable. Uh, really valuable. Not to bore you too much. No, 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 no. I think it's important. No, give me thinking time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, walk you through, from what I understand from IT governance uh, perspective, there's 13 big changes that will be part of this. Wow. And they're not all of them, I might add. They're just the yeah. key ones. And I'm, I'm reading it off. Uh, thank you, itgovernance.co.uk, uh, for my research. Um, <laughs> for my research. <laughs> well, for your website. What could I, say? <laughs> I did say Richard had done more than mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember the dates, that's it. My history lesson over. So, point one. Mm-hmm. If your business is not in the EU, you will still have to comply with the regulation. Yeah. Mm. And that's point one out of 13. Now, we'll pick on a couple of these after, I Mm. guess. Two, the definition of personal data is broader, bringing more data into the regulated perimeter. God knows what that will be. Oh, my Tinder. I mean, uh, other profile. Um, Three, consent will be necessary to process process children's data. I thought it should be anyway. I would have thought. Yeah. Is it not? Once again, this is why the Data Protection Act is so out of date. Mm. Is it children's searches, I guess, on the internet and stuff like that? Oh, it could be if you think about it. Um, kids' apps, things like that. Yeah, the sort maybe. of info you've got to put in there. Or both. Because they're minors. So, well, yeah, not possibly. actual minors, but you know what I mean. This is, this is an interesting one. We're talking about... Keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> the appointment of a data protection officer will be mandatory. Ooh, so I've seen that's this one. interesting. Yeah, How about yeah, that? Yeah. New jobs. You know, uh, it's interesting. Um, the introduction of mandatory privacy, privacy risk impact assessments. Wow. New data breach notification requirements. And this is my, one of my favourites. The right to be forgotten is yeah. in there as well. Talk about so that. are you. Yeah, in the, in the international transfer of data. Data processor responsibilities. Data portability. portability we know what you mean. Uh, privacy by design and one-stop shop. Not quite sure what that means, but I'm guessing a good talking point at the moment is um, who's going to be uh, your DPO? Yeah, I mean, I picked up on this. So, um, I think the consensus of opinion is that this this data protection officer should be a new role within organisations. It shouldn't be. A, uh, a case of draw, <laughs> draw lots and uh, congratulations to CIO gets it. Um, I think. Yeah, and I also it's, think it's a, it should yeah. be a non technical role. It it's a compliance be. officer. Exactly. So it is, it is a level of compliance officer, yeah. Right there, yeah. And that's what they're saying. It's, it's, I think what it is a real true invention of a new role. They're mm. looking for a compliance officer that has a, an understanding or a background in technology. Yeah. Now, I've never met a DPO. I don't know if you have, Neil, but um, but yeah, you know, if, if we've got if we've got two years, mm. um, there's, there's a potential college course there that, that could prove to be quite popular. Well volunteered for Arrow, Richard. I think hey, you're right. You I think you're right. It's right up be... your street. 
could be the next next big thing we put in the training department. Um, but no, no, I actually completely agree, and I think that the uh, the, the DPO role is going to be, but it's going to be multifaceted because mm. you're going to have to understand the technical impl- implications of your, your data and how it's stored, or or you rely upon a third-party organization to ensure the technical compliance. Ooh. You are probably going to have to have some sort of audit capabilities because you're going to have to continually make sure that the data is obviously where it is. And, and one of the biggest things for me that, that didn't get listed there, for obvious reasons, is the fines and the impact on a business is sort of financially huge. Mm. What is it? It's like, isn't it 20 million or 5% of your Four revenue percent. depending on which yeah, one... Let, let me take it through you. The other, the other piece it. of the numbers I, uh, I managed to Google prior to this podcast. Well done, Richard. Thank you. By prior, do you mean from, I put my phone learn down from now. The best. Learn from the best. So apparently, <coughs> the following sanctions can be imposed. A warning in writing in cases of first and non-international non-compliance. Right? So it's like, I suppose it's... I don't know, you, get, you don't get a verbal, you get a written warning. Uh, regular, periodic data protection audits. So by who? It's, I think in the UK it's, it should be the uh, Information Commissioner's Office. Uh, and then the interesting ones, the ones that are making the headlines at the minute. A fine of up to 10 million euros, other currencies are available, <laughs> or I think we up to look at 2% that, yeah. of the annual worldwide turnover of the preceding financial year in cases of an enterprise, whichever is greater. That's apparently something to do with Article 83. Or, it gets better, a fine of up to 2 million euros, or in cases of an undertaking, up to 4% of the total worldwide annual turnover of the preceding financial year, whichever is higher. I need wow. a coffee. Those, those are eye-watering numbers. That is, that is insane. Absolutely eye-watering. Yeah. Which is sort of makes the implementation of it not just critical, but considerably lower cost to an organisation than... I mean, if, we, if we're taking this as pure... Yeah, I mean, if we're taking this as pure cost, right... Um, Obviously, this is what a lot of organizations should have been doing from day one. And I think actually yeah, yeah. one of the most important things for me is this is essentially putting a gun up against a lot of these organizations' head and saying, you now do not have a choice. It is yeah. do or die, really, because that sort of fine out of your revenue, not out of your profit, yeah. out of your revenue, revenue would cripple mm. a lot of cust- companies. A giant, that's a giant killer kind of figure. You know, that's... Yeah. Mm. Quite scary, and you know, I, it's, I think it's trying to create a, an EU happy family to create that standard. And I'm all for that, but to be honest with you, uh, I did a talk on this. Here we go during the war, and I'm during the war, self, <laughs> self propagating you, you myself. Have, you have not aged. That's nothing like a me, day. Really. <clears throat> so I'll just talk about myself for another two or three minutes. But um, I was out in Moscow some time ago, about a year ago, and we're talking about data sovereignty and unplugging from the rest of the world mm-hmm. uh, and repatronation of data and da-da-da-da-da. And in all reality, I mean, I think common sense needs to come into this in the fact that if you have a company that's based in the UK, you abide by UK laws. If you have a company based in Germany, you abide by UK uh, Germany 
Freudian slip. Um, uh, German laws of data protection. Yeah. You know, otherwise, we are forming a, a GDPR of a consortium of, I would actually only refer it to as like local councils working together. Mm. And this is never going to work. No. Yeah, it's just everybody's never aiming work. for a high watermark, which yeah. all of a sudden, if you're saying, well, we have these rules, we have those rules, and you bring them all together and make an amalgam, all of a sudden, it's like see a net average go yeah. up. So all of a sudden, you're saying, yeah. well, the rules and regulations, are, are they unattainable? I don't know. And I think it's very arrogant of uh, the EU in general, as, as after assuming that people who, who are not in the EU have to abide by it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like one of the points I read out. You know, even if you're not in the EU, you still have to abide by this. Yeah. Thing. I thought, well, okay. Well, how does that work for one? And who's going to regulate that for two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be honest, just seems a big of a bit of a consultant's dream. You know, I wish well, I could get, resurrect a consultancy company and, and guide all these people and, and make honest, my millions. That's exactly where I get worried about this because. One of my single biggest issues is, you know what, this, this act is very clear in what, it re- in what it requires, but how it's implemented, it's going to be this devil's in the detail situation, right? Because mm. how it's implemented and what is the upper and lower limit of being inside the, the envelope window of, of ticking the box, mm. for me, it still feels very ambiguous. I know it's, you know, <clears throat> because it doesn't really go into a lot of detail about the technical solution, the continual sort of, how many times do you need to prove it? Is it a continuous sort of thing, or is it once you need to be, um, you're going to be sort of uh, checked? Tell me wrong way. I feel bad saying that because this should be fundamentally part of, you know, the 21st century architecture of an enterprise, right? But it just feels like there's a lot of ambiguity there, and when we have ambiguity in the IT industry, in the security industry, it breeds bad practice and it breeds a level of, um, as you say, consultants going, ooh, it's like, you know, your, your plumber comes in and goes, ooh, it's going to be expensive. And I don't like that because it, it mm. damages my industry. It makes me feel very uneasy and very uncomfortable with a lot of conversations that are going to occur. You see, I think there's, you know, there's a few things when, when, you start, when you start delving into this, there's a couple of things where you think, well, from a technology perspective, yeah, we can fix that. We can, we can do something around that. Um, consent to pass data has to be explicit, not implied. Right. So, you know what? I'm going to write into T's and C's. Most people still have a click to accept. Yeah. It's implied. You know, in my book, yeah, it is, you've, con- you've technically consented. Um, so, you know, people might not focus on that. People mm. might just say, yeah, fine, we can write that. Yeah, in. That's one, fine. one more line. Now, an interesting one for me. A data breach has to be... Or the relevant regulatory authorities have to be notified within 72 hours. So by its very definition, you have to, as an enterprise, be able to recognise that you've been breached within a, a, a less than 72-hour window. Yeah, and that's, that's a really interesting problem because hmm. at this point in time, do you know? I know very few technologies that could really do that in any meaningful way. You know, it, it, we're going back in time a little bit, but if we look at a, a large television and also um, movie producing mm. company, they were being breached uh, over a program, period yeah. of two or three months. Mm-hmm. The data was being drip expedited out of their system. Yep. You know, that's not something that, I mean, there's probably technologies that could have detected this, but who knows what the next attack vector is going to be? You just, 
some of these things they're going to be they're going to be incredibly difficult to to actually um, enforce in any meaningful way. Mm. Um, as I say, they're ambiguous and that breeds dangerous precedents around you know companies going oh well you know if you take uh if you take our solution as as sort of 50% of the fine well we're in whereas actually what they're selling is not worth it mm. and this is the problem when you put a price tag on a problem and you make it very ambiguous to fix it becomes very 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 it becomes a cowboy's dream and I'm, that, that scares me it really does i mean there's generic rule sets as we're talking about the gdpr yeah uh, but then it goes deeper and you go into finance or healthcare or any regulated industry, it goes even deeper than that because so you've got a generic GDPR, but then you've still got other rule sets for mm. data compliance yeah. and governance from in the industry as well. So to be honest, I think it's just going to make everything really more confusing. And uh, yes, I'm all for regulation where, yeah. uh, for where data it makes sense. You know, and I don't want uh, really uh, any data that my kids uh, about my children, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. even if they're searching and yeah. and uh, on the internet, where that where what are they searching? Where is that going? You know, uh, it's, a lot of that makes sense. But uh, to be honest, it's I still see a, a day coming in the future where we are have to going to be abiding by our own local UK or whatever country. Uh, we're talking about uh, rules and regulations. It makes things so much simpler. Mm -hmm. And because you... All right, we do trade outside of our own country, but, you know, it's like, you know, you go to a, go to a nightclub and they either let you in or they won't, you know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, my rules, you're not coming in with those trainers. You know, the same thing, well, okay, I understand that. But at the end of the day, we're trying to get the whole of Europe to adopt this. I mean, really, we've got the French, the yeah. Germans, the Spanish, and, yeah. I mean, and many, many other countries trying to, to agree on this. And actually, who's going to regulate it? Who's going to enforce it? You yeah. know, it's a nightmare. And also, what happens um, when you are a multinational company and you are based in America, yet you trade in the EU? What, what are the regulations then? Do you have to have exactly the same across the board? Is your entire infrastructure audited or just the stuff that stores? Do you have to almost create a a European data silo and a European data security silo so you can you know, adequately prove that you are GDP compliant, GDPR mm. compliant. It, there's all these, as I say, these ambiguities inside of this data, inside of this rule set. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I, I was you know, surfing around just looking at sort of, you know, what, what I thought GDPR was... I saw what you were surfing actually the case. Hey, yeah, you know what? But that's 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 in a firewall domain. Nobody knows about <laughs> me and my ISP. Um, <clears throat> then, and I came across um, a an association I'd never heard of before: the IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Now, when you looked at the direct, I know you can't make this. It sounds expensive. It does sound really expensive. But the whole point is, you know, you've got uh, on the on the committees and on the board of that, you've got people from GE, Cisco. Mastercard worldwide, you know, US-based organisations. But guess one of the top topic, one of the top topics they're talking about, GDPR. And you know, I, I don't know what what will. If you think of um, again somebody operating data centres, whether it be an MSP or a, you know a big multinational, 
Yeah, they must have to deal with this at the minute, dependent on if they've got a data center in um, North America and South America, I'm China, Asia, Pac, whatever. What what does bringing GDPR into into that mix mean now? I, I genuinely don't know. You know, if they've if they've based say facilities in Germany because they're known as having you know quite robust data regulations, is this going to have an impact on that? Does does that change? The dynamic of what they've got today. I, mean, I, I don't have an answer. That's for that. a really good point, you know. And on top of that, if we're going to move to, and I think we will eventually, a total end-to-end -end encrypted service of our data, we won't even know what type of data we're to actually monitor and and, and police. But then mm. that brings in another issue where the UK government and GCHQ and the CIA and all that lot are turning around saying, actually, we don't want super strong encryption. Because how do we monitor it? And how do we know if you're a terrorist or not? And you go back to a load of stuff very recently where they've got senators in in um, in America and you had Cameron about six months ago now talking about encryption being one of the you know most prolific and dangerous weapons in a terrorist arsenal. Now, if we can't encrypt, it just mm. it's very, once again, it's very sort of uh, against so each other. And it's concerning that, you know, on one hand, we need to secure people's communications. We need to secure, secure data. We need to make sure that everything is well packaged and well looked after. And I am 100% for that. I don't necessarily feel very happy and very confident that we will be able to implement this in the time frame at the scale it's going to need to be implemented mm -hmm. in a way that is consistent. Because if it's not consistent, and, and as we said earlier on, Italy don't implement it as well as France or Germany or the UK. Do we basically go after the whole of Italy? Well, it just well look, it's yeah, exactly. You know, it, no one is going to implement this on time. This is never <laughs> going to happen. You know, there's oh, certain countries. Mm. Well, there are certain countries you could probably pick that would so, actually yeah. be quite delayed in this coming forward. Um, and what happens? We victimise them. So we find. And I'm not suggesting that this is going to happen, but so we fine um, or pick on a country, say Italy, for argument's sake, and every manufacturer in Italy doesn't hit that particular mm. target, they're all going to get fined, so it's going to worsen their economic position, position already. Precisely. How are we going to do this? It's not, you know, yeah, it's it's not on. You talk about consistency, and you know, will we have consistency or not? I think, yeah, we're... We're kind of thinking oh, it's, it's going to be difficult to see everybody will have their own different approach to, to meeting these regulations. But then part and parcel of the requirement of the regulation is the ability to have data portability. So to be able to move it around if you should choose to change the supplier. And if, if you've got inconsistencies, then you know what, what happens when you want to move from somebody who is compliant to somebody who kind of is or isn't. Uh, do you as a consumer, whether you're an individual or an organisation, how do you check? How do you find well, out? Your data almost needs to be packaged inside of a container that will only sort of unlock oh, itself should it be sat inside of a, a set of stuff that it can almost self-test It's compliant. I have no idea if that's even is that possible. A, is that a pet project of yours, Dave? I was just about to say, you put that with the chickens. No, get a no, patent no, out quick on that. Uh, that's a cracking idea. But you know, but I've always said that security should be always, you know, that should be transparent. Yeah, well, right? data is a currency, the new currency yeah. of what mm -hmm. we're using today. You know, hundred percent. And so, what do you do with currency? Uh, you need to make it traceable. 
ideally, and foolproof. So what's the problem with actually putting the actual... I don't, I don't see a problem with it, the security within that particular data packet mm. or even a tracer in that data packet. I don't mind. I mean, I wouldn't mind. Certainly if we look at cryptocurrencies, you, it's, mm-hmm. I would like to see that. And there was a certain buzz in the US at the moment talking about that's the next generation yeah. of how we uh, control cryptocurrencies. So if we do that, then we've got a passport, we've got a tracker, we know where we're going, our data's going to. I send yeah. a bit of data to Dave at the weekend, um, and he knows it's come from me. Um, and if I and I also know if Dave sent it to, to Richard. Yeah. And I go, oh, you know, oh, Dave sent it to Richard. Why? I don't know, but he would send mm. it to you. And, and you have that kind of traceability and accountability is where it's really key. Mm. We're trying to enforce this rule set on the whole of Europe, which we've got the cultural issues to address for one. Then we've got the infrastructure issues to address yeah. for two. Then there's the government issues we've got to address for three. Yep. I don't think it's going to work. So back to a comment you made at the top of the podcast, which I kind of interpreted it as, you know, Will the UK data centres become the IT equivalent of the Swiss banks? Exactly. And Now, okay, first and foremost, hold my hands up. I have no idea if that's even possible, if it's already written into the regulation that you fundamentally cannot work with the UK or European if you are not GDPR GDPR compliant. But you've just, you've summed it up. Do you become a Swiss bank? Do you become the the Swiss data bank? The European, essentially, the UK becomes a Swiss becomes the UK data bank, mm. literally. Because at the end of the day, right, we are a services industry. Yep. Uh, that sounds like a pretty mm. sensible services play, mm. right? Yeah. But here's the thing. I don't want to not be in line with the GDPR compliance. No. Because I think it's a... I fundamentally believe that it's a good thing to do. What I'm trying to say is we could go and do a very sensible thing to say... Come store your data here. We are just off land of the uh, of the European Union. So as far as almost like you know where you put your data center, you want as low a latency as possible. So if you want it really expensive, you want really yeah, and that's valuable. You put it inside of you know the M25. We're talking about London, or if you can deal with a bit more latency, you save a lot of money. You put it outside the M25. It's exactly the same inside of the EU. If you want to go down and, and risk the GDPR police coming and getting you, you leave it in the mainland in you, but you obviously risk and run the cost of implementing that. If you roll the dice and say, you know what, we can deal with a little bit more latency, put it out in um, out in the UK, where it is the, <laughs> I love that analogy, the Swiss bank of data, um, and away we go. Now, would that work? No idea. I just don't know the GDPR regulation well enough. Mm, no. But it's certainly an interesting thing to posture, I should I say. I think it's a very good idea of a business. So you could make more money than cents. Yeah, Swiss bank. Um, well, yeah. I think it's data is the data is the new oil, as, as I'm sure I've heard you say a few times. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean it's one of these things, isn't it? I mean, you know, we know we're very much a, a services-driven economy in the UK. You know, regardless of yeah, where we are and what our alliances are, if you almost become and you become that portal that you know it's the de facto gateway into you. It's almost a case of you know, it's is it GDPR as a service. Now, mm. We will, with with our data centers, the technologies that we apply to assure the data, yeah. with the ability to, to comply, you know what? 
bring it to us. Yeah. We'll take care yeah. of that for you. I and do feel you for your clients, though, be to try and grapple with this. I think they're going to need some help. Yeah. Where's it going to come from? Yeah, well, so will, it, well, it, will it come from a business's legal counsel? Will it come from, so will it come from consultants that will... <laughs> so to give you know, an idea PPI, of... PPI's gone. We're going to pick on GDPR now. And, start so making the, and the DPO. Uh, so, yeah. so for the early adopters, we are actually putting together some offerings at the moment around Ooh. GDPR. That sounded like um, I nearly plugged that. Then, it eh? very nearly did. Just, and, and I didn't, didn't know that, know that, yeah. Um, so, but what we're looking at doing is implementing both a compliance and audit because we have lots of, funny enough, lots of compliance and audit officers inside of Arrow that we could actually utilise as a um, as a service and actually sell out as part of a an opportunity. Yeah. Number one, we have um, number two. We've got a technical solution because we have obviously such a large network and security business that we can actually put together something that makes a lot of sense. And number three, we have um, a twenty-four by seven um, support infrastructure across the globe that we could actually use to leverage and ensure com you know, continual compliance is what we're calling it. So wow. this is something that we're looking to put together for the early adopters, for the partners that are, because at the end of the day, right, we don't want to compete with our partners, that's obvious. Our no. partners, a lot of them have these capabilities in-house. We don't want to be competing with those, but what we do want to do is make sure that people that don't, you know, the, the, value, the purpose of us is to help bring the value to yeah. the channel. And add value to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If we can do this, bring value to the channel in that way, great. If our partners just want to do the technical piece with us, great. If they just want to use this for compliance services, great. If they want to take the full shooting match and offload the sort of compliance risk of their customers through the GDPR process onto us, great. It's not quite there yet. We're still working on it, but we're hoping to bring it to bear into Q4. So mm. watch this space, podcast listeners. It's, wow. it's interesting because I think that is so needed mm. because what will end up happening if, 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 if nobody provides that service or assistance, people will always find a way around yeah. uh, mm. working, whether it's um, shortcuts, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it, they will find a way to either achieve some of what that would uh, the GDPR will offer and pretend or, or maybe pretend to be compliant, but find a way around it so they they don't need to comply to most of it. Yeah. Um, and if you're not told and you're informed, not informed properly, or you're not guided, left to your own devices, people literally do that. And that's where a company like us, like Arrow, can actually help you to... Because if we've done it and we've met that cer met that certification then because it's one of the problems with all these sorts of IT solutions if you are an organization that does something once it's really really difficult to to do it because you do it once and and maybe you do it and then you don't do it for six months and you have to do it again and then you don't do it for six months you have to do it again it's always a learning process exactly whereas if you if your day-to-day -day world is is being Mr. GDPR, like we could possibly be, and work with our partners to make sure if they wanted to become, we could enable them, train them, get them certified as well, mm -hmm. get their auditors up to speed. We're actually sending our compliance, some of our compliance auditors on the GDPR training as we speak. So we're literally going through this process. There's about three weeks of courses that you have to go on. Um, you can only do one after another after another once you've met certain, it's a real quite a complex um, yeah. set of certifications. Mm. So we will actually have GDPR, GDPR auditors in the, in the bag. Mm. And the whole purpose is we then, we then understand exactly what you need to do. It's our entire lives. So we can repeat that solution consistently 
okay. and scalably over and over again. And obviously, as we do it 10 times, 20 times, 100 times, we can bring the cost of implementing and actually going through that down as the economies of scales kick in. Japs, can I ask you both a question? Of course you, you can. May. Brexit. Yes. So uh, if, I mean, uh, when uh, we leave the EU, do you think it will really impact us in a big way? We know we talk about GDPR and we have to abide by it, but we won't have to abide by every ruling. And it's coming so back to your... from a technology standpoint, mm. no, because I think if, if you're sensible, you'll still want to be as compliant to the business you'll be hoping to maintain over on mainland Europe. Um, therefore, you will want to be as easy. You won't want any barriers in between you mm. And, and the, uh, you know, we may, we may see a few governmental things change because, to be quite frank, I don't think they really care too much. But I think business and enterprise will want to make it as barrier, you know, limit mm. sort of the seamless. seamless and a sort of problematic, you know, remove as many barriers and as many problems to, to continuing status quo as humanly possible. Is there, a, is there a US equivalent of the GDPR? Do anybody know that? Very I haven't looked at it or Googled no, it at the I, moment. I, I, I haven't. I know there's um, I know there's some I mean, socks and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So there's, socks there's specifics and, around things like healthcare yeah. and, and, and working with, with government agencies. But, yeah, HIPAA. You know, yeah, HIPAA and things like that. I, I, I wouldn't like to say, and, you know, more bad on me for, mm. for, for not knowing. But um, it's a... Because I haven't heard of question. any, to, to be honest, and not that I would, but... Um, but I'm there again. I haven't put that magic string yeah, into Google just it's yet. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's this, it's this seamlessness. It's this, mm. uh, yeah. As we see, as we see a lot of businesses transforming from a point of view of you know dealing with local, whether it be mm. regional or national sort of clients. You know, they they'll find themselves dealing with international clients, even by proxy. You know, mm. just by the fact that. You know, we've we've worked with this client for the last ten years, but they've they've grown or they've they've been acquired, and um, yeah, how do they deal with you know multinational uh, yeah you exactly. know, legislations and, and rules? You know, I think it's it's an interesting one. I think it's one that there'll be certain businesses and in certain industries where it'll mm. it'll impact a lot a lot later. Uh, but yeah, I I think the thing for me is you, you, I don't think you can pigeonhole out of mm. the the clients and the uh, and the channel partners we've got today. Who's going to be impe- impacted by GDPR mm. or the US equivalent or the Australian equivalent yeah. or the Brazilian or, equivalent or or whatever? I just yeah, it's here's I think the I think the best practice for most businesses is that they will you know there'll be two or three that they'll look to comply with by default and. You know, they'll be either where they've got existing customers or where they perceive to be the highest set of regulations, well, that high watermark. Here's a simple equivalent. So, yeah. um, you know, we need to be alerted in the European Union about cookies every single time we go on a website in mm. the EU. Yeah, that's only in the EU. That does not happen in America or Asia-Pac or anywhere else. That is literally just a European Union thing of make people aware that they are being tracked through cookies. Now... We've figured out ways of essentially having a website that displays that in Europe and doesn't display it in North America. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, you could do the same thing. Mm. Or there's, of course, the piece that says... um, So I've just just read another article. um, says something along the lines of 
uh, if the EU wants to trade in the single market, it will have to sort of essentially have adequate or equivocal security. What on earth does that mean? Uh, exactly. I think what it basically means is go and do GDPR yeah. everywhere. If you want to trade inside the single market, yeah. the global single market, yeah. then start doing some GDPR. But then who's to say that North America won't turn around and say, well, actually, we've got our own definition of GDPR. Yeah. This is what it is. And actually, EU, if you want to trade with us, you've got to do this. And we won't say that China won't do the same thing and Asia-Pac won't do the same thing and Russia won't do the same thing. I mean, it opens up a lot of a, a can of, I would say, worms. Or I want to say ferrets. Mm. Gerbils. Gerbils. Yeah. A can of gerbils. Chickens. <laughs> and on that pet-based note, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Two of our podcasts have, uh, have, have dived into the, the, the pets. This is meant to be tech-related, boys. We all like animals. We do. Sure, you're struggling with defining a farmer, let alone pets. No, 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 yeah. no. St- Stick on message. I will do. On that <laughs> note, guys, thank you so much. We've run another... 36 minutes, 26 seconds of people's time, and I couldn't appreciate it more. So thank you, Neil. Really appreciate your time for the second week running. Much appreciated. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you, Thank you very much. Rich, as ever. It's a pleasure, buddy, as always. Hannah, thank you for being our producer. She's smiling. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And, uh, yeah, have a great week. Cheers. Bye. Bye. See you next time.